Welcome to episode 201 of the MCU Fan Show. My name is Sean Gerber. In a moment, I'll be joined by Paul Herman. On this week's edition of the podcast, we will be talking about Marvel Studios Assembled, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Marvel's tribute, Marvel Studios tribute to the movies in which they released some phase four footage and showed some announcements. That's what we'll be talking about on episode 201, but we will also have exclusive content on our Patreon, including the corresponding Patreon credit scene for this episode of the podcast. We will address Loki moving to Wednesdays, beginning with its premiere on Disney Plus on Wednesday, June 9th. And in addition to the Patreon credit scene, we also have another exclusive podcast series called Fan Show Plus, where we talk about things mostly outside the MCU. And right now, that's going to start including spoiler reviews of each episode of The Bad Batch, the new Star Wars animated series that premiered this week on Disney+. Plus. We also have exclusive community and community events via our Discord. All of that is available at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. Or just hit the link in our show notes. And then make sure you're following us in all those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you are enjoying the show, we would greatly appreciate a rating and review from you on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much to those of you who have already taken the time to do so. And now, on with our show. How's it going, Paul Herman? It's going pretty good. It's going pretty good. Just uh, got, man, there's so much going on between Marvel and Star Wars and trying to get everything kind of organized in my head, what I'm going to be doing. It's just, it's just crazy. Cause I'm, you know, now Star Wars is kind of picking up with stuff. It's, I'm trying to like, okay, I got to read these Star Wars comics. I got to read these Marvel comics. And I got to read these DC comics. It's just, it's crazy. I got, it's crazy. Yeah. It's been a very busy two weeks. The Falcon mm-hmm. and the Winter Soldier ended just in time for me because uh, some of you know, I, I work in the production world and the show that I'm on right now It's been a very busy past couple of weeks, which is why we didn't have a new episode last week. Apologies for that. There were some new ones on the Patreon. Didn't have a new episode of this main podcast, but normally we are weekly. I know some of you wondered because some of you found us during WandaVision or The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. You will hear new episodes between these Disney Plus series. So apologies for missing last week, but we're back and and up and running and there is so much to talk about on episode 201. I mean, it was really great to be able to celebrate our 200th episode with the finale Mm -hmm. of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And now Marvel just hit us with so much. Not only are we going to talk about Marvel Studios Assemble The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but everything that they, everything that Marvel Studios showed us and announced during that uh, tribute to the movies video uh, that they released earlier this week. And then on the Patreon, as I said before, the intro music, yeah, we'll be talking about Loki moving to Wednesdays, which we don't love uh, as much as maybe some do. But we'll address that on the Patreon credit scene. Let's start, Paul, with Marvel Studios Assembled, The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I think it bears repeating that I just love that Marvel Studios does this in the first place and that Disney mm-hmm. Plus does this in the first place with Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian, and this Marvel Studios Assembled series. I love all this behind-the-scenes stuff, and... It's always been something that I think has been lacking, particularly for the the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because they haven't always had the most robust special features that go behind the scenes or go as in-depth behind the scenes as I would like them to. Now, of course, there's no limit to how far I'd like to see them take this stuff because I can just consume all of it. 
Um, but this specific installment for the Falcon Winter Soldier, I thought it was a really good mix of discussing the themes of the show, which I think are pretty familiar to all of us who just watched it and certainly mm -hmm. talked about it over the past several weeks. But then also mixing in some of just the how they did it with uh, some of the action sequences like that opening action sequence with Falcon's flight and the wingsuits and all of that, as well as the truck fight that they the truck sequence that they had in episode two. And then the costume design, of course, for a brand new Captain America. And there were some interesting things about that that we'll uh, get into as we go along. But just from an overall uh, bigger picture look at this special, I liked this a lot. I might have actually liked this one even more than WandaVision, not really for any specific reason. I mean, they're both behind the scenes specials. I think the difference between these two for me was that it felt like a lot of what WandaVision went over in the Marvel Studios Assembled series or in its episode, it felt very familiar to a lot of things that had already been talked about by the creators of the series for so long that a lot of what they went over just kind of felt like we'd been there, done that. Whereas the Falcon Winter Soldier, maybe it's just because there wasn't, or maybe I didn't read or consume as many podcasts and interviews about it uh, as I did uh, with WandaVision, although I still just don't think the stuff was talked about in quite the same way. Um, but mm. I found like there was I, I felt like there was a lot more new information that I got out of this one compared to the WandaVision episode. But I love both. Right. I to be fair, I never saw the the WandaVision one. And for whatever reason, I don't know if I forgot about it or just I kind of thought, oh, I'll watch it later. It just yeah, for whatever reason, it never I just never got around to it. And so I forgot also about the about Falcon Winter Soldier one until you kind of let me know like, oh, hey, this is what we're going to talk about in the show. And I went. Oh crap! I haven't seen that yet. So I actually watched it this morning, and again, it just kind of—I just kind of forgot about it. And I was very—it was an hour long, and and I love the 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 Star Wars ones, and Star Wars and making of stuff has always been like my jam. Like I'm all about the behind the scenes stuff. With Marvel, it's always been a little harder, and it's probably probably because mainly it's a newer product, and they're. It's just not, they're not as forthcoming, I guess, as information with Star Wars. It's weird. It just, it feels very different. Now, granted, Marvel has done some cool stuff like on the Infinity War uh, uh, 4K Blu-ray release. There's that great table uh, mm -hmm. discussion, which I loved. They do like sprinkle things here and there of good stuff, but it's just not as like meaty as I'd like it to be. So definitely these galleries are, are they're kind of that way. And I always forget that they, they're there. But, um, but when I watched this one, it was really cool to kind of get to see so many different aspects of the production and the the origins of the story, but also just like it, going through all, which we'll get into in a second, but just every, all the turbulations they went through plus mm -hmm. the pandemic. I mean, which we can get into that, you know, at one point, I think that's very worth talking about, Definitely. to be honest. Um, but well, obviously, but I mean, I think it really did, like we've talked about on the show ourselves, right? Like we think it definitely impacted the show and we'll, we'll get into that. But yeah, it was really, I really was enjoying it. I was watching it while I was watching my daughter letting my wife sleep in. And so I just kind of, you know, playing with her and kind of listening and, and watching. And it was, it was really cool. I was really enjoying what I was getting. And, and I don't know if the WandaVision one is like that, but, you know, maybe it's not. But, I mean, this was definitely a great all-around kind of demonstration of what they're mm -hmm. doing behind the scenes stuff. It just as far as like the writing, the directing, right. it was a it was a great amalgam of everything. Because I mean, again, w with WandaVision, it felt it, there's it wasn't as action packed, obviously. Which again, I, I'm not. This is not a detriment. I loved WandaVision, 
it's not as action-packed, so it's just a little bit more of a nuanced story, and it's, it's a little more straightforward as far as far as like just what goes into it as the writing and things like that. Whereas with this, it seems a lot more special effects and a lot more stunts and a lot more a lot more costumes and and again, you know, everyone who knows listens to the show. I'm a costume guy. I'm all about the superhero costumes. You gotta they gotta be in suits. If they're in hoodies, forget it. Get that out of here. You know. So <laughs> yeah, uh, it's it's true. So it, it was great. It was great to get that, and I can't wait to get, talk about a little bit of the origins of the story a little bit because my favorite things about these behind-the-scenes stuff is always the costumes and the story and how the story develops. Those are my two favorite things of all of, of all of them. And, um, yeah, so I can't wait to get in, into that a little bit. So, yeah, I, I thought that this was, thought this was great, a great insight, obviously, but um, we'll get into more specifics in a second. But I thought it was really definitely worth checking out. Oh, totally. And the WandaVision one, I mean, people can go back and listen to the episode where Brian and I talked about the Marvel Studios Assembled episode for WandaVision. I don't mean to be to sound negative about it because I really enjoyed that episode. I just think the Mm -hmm. difference between the two is they found a way to incorporate more new information into this one as opposed to things that were just out there um, in other interviews for weeks and weeks and weeks. So there was just a, a little bit more new information in this, but both of them were really enjoyable and the format was somewhat similar. I mean, they both do a good job of focusing on story and theme and how things developed, but then also a little bit more of the behind the scenes. But to that point, you did have a a greater number of more elaborate action sequences in this one. So that's where you had a little bit more behind the scenes. I mean, there was definitely costume design notes for each one. I mean, we had the first full-fledged Scarlet Witch costume at the end of WandaVision. And then, of course, we had our first Sam Wilson as Captain America costume at the end of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier or Captain America and the Winter Soldier. But one of the key points that I liked in each series is finding out how the creators got the job. And in the WandaVision special, and some of that's in Assembled, but some of it I think is also in just interviews that Jack Schaefer had done as the head writer of that series for WandaVision, where she cracked the story that helped her get the job, which was part of the pacing of the story, like peeling back the curtain in episode four and kind of showing everybody how it was all working as far as this whole sitcom reality versus MCU. And in this episode of Marvel Studios Assembled for the Falcon and the Winter Soldier, executive producer Nate Moore really kind of explained what was the key point for head writer Malcolm Spellman that I'm sure played a key role in him getting the job, And it was that line that Sam had about the shield feeling like it was someone else's when Mm. Steve was handing it to him at the end of Avengers Endgame and how that resonated with Malcolm Spellman and telling that story and not just saying it feels like it's someone else's. And I think we picked up on this uh, as we were watching the show and talked about it on the podcast, not just that it feels like it's someone else's because it literally belonged to Steve Rogers, but just not feeling like it belongs to Sam Wilson specifically, but in a broader sense, not feeling like it belongs to a black man, not feeling like it belongs to people of color in this country. And Malcolm Spellman elaborated on that in the special, saying that if they were going to tell this story in an honest way, a black man would have to have, to some extent, you know, some ambivalence toward the shield and the idea of representing that symbol and so I, I like that that was something where there's just this one line in a scene that a lot of us, I mean, most if not all of us, love from Avengers Endgame, but then picking out that line and just spinning an entire theme out of it that kind of became the emotional through line for, or one of the major emotional through lines for the series. 
And then, you know, Anthony Mackie also expanded on that idea in, in some of his interview segments in the beginning of this, talking about how you know, he can't be, as a black man, can't be the same person in every room that you're in. And then talking about, of course, everything that, I mean, these are not themes that were relevant because of 2020, because these are things that have been around for hundreds. Of, these are issues that have been around for hundreds of years. But certainly 2020, and Anthony Mackey even mentioned by name, you know, Breonna Taylor, George Floyd, there were examples in 2020 that just brought it into the spotlight once again, showing that we never, of course, it never should have not been in the spotlight because it's always been an issue and it's always been present. And for Anthony Mackey to land on that part of how does a black man represent a country that does not represent him? So just knowing that that was part of it, you know, thematically all along, which I think we would have expected based on the comic books, just based on... Sure. What you would assume is honest about telling that story in the very in the first place, but seeing how they developed it and how they developed it specifically from that line in the biggest MCU movie ever, formerly the biggest movie ever with Avengers Endgame, uh, it was really great seeing just how that how that central theme became a key part of Malcolm Spellman getting the job and, and doing such a great job with it. Yeah, and that's what what I loved about it too. Spellman, which by the way, I could listen to that guy talk all day. He's got such a like a great voice, and you can tell he just has a lot going on in that in that head of his as far as like ideas and and you know I, I've never seen Empire, but you know obviously he kind of helped create that show and and that was a huge show. Um, and just how him describing story. Mm-hmm. and and everything throughout the whole this whole episode was so great i mean i, I just with the combination of that, that, that voice and his yeah. what, what he's got man i could listen to that guy talk like literally all day like yeah. i well the way he I, breaks I, it down too, like how mm-hmm. they how they break story vertically for an episode and then oh, horizontally God. for the entire series yeah. like just giving people i mean i know it's it's a very quick summary but it, it really does give you kind of a visual sense of exactly what it is they're doing as they're mm-hmm. breaking things apart and putting them back together yeah, and I think that I think that's so important for any kind of story, but you know, even more so for these superhero stories because you have to have this emotional through line. Otherwise, it's just a shell, and it's nothing. You know, if there's nothing in in, in you know underneath the shell, then it doesn't matter. It'll break apart and be brittle, and, and just you know go to dust, right? I mean, that's the whole the whole point. And I think that uh, Spellman has just done a great job. I think of dissecting everything, and, and I think that what's, what you you touched on exactly what I wanted to touch on was, I love the fact that he he went to one line, and that's what kind of gave him the inspiration. Now, granted, like you said, yeah, of course they all they were setting up Falcon as Captain America, mm-hmm. but how they went about it, and remember, this is all before anything happened in 2020, right? Like this was all they were right the the premise now. Not which they get to and later on the story, they kind of they did tweak some things after, you know, things hit or whatever. But for the most part, the story was conceived and pretty much you know, they were filming, you know, with what yeah, well, they started his, filming in November of 2019. I mean, exactly. They were they were close to done or close ish to done when they had to stop. I mean, they mm-hmm. were only, you know, a month or two left of production. So, yeah, they were. All of these things that they were doing thematically were baked in from the jump. And I think but that's the that's the honest sense of what Malcolm Spellman and and Nate Moore and Anthony Mackie and what all of them had was that, yes, 2020 brought a lot of things back into focus. But 
the point really is that this never should have been out of focus because all of this mm. stuff, the things that happened in 2020 that led to so much unrest and the protests and, and everything. Yes, it's it's nice that people stood up for you know what was right in, in 2020, but there have been people who've been part of this fight the whole time and unaware that these are problems that have never faded, that have always been present. They, the spotlight may not always shine on them, but they're always there. And, you know, they, of course, were very honest about that and how they approached this series. Yeah. And I think that to me was was really cool because and again, I, this is why I wish I had more time with Spellman. I'll have to go find some podcasts or interviews with him talking and just about the show in general and just his background, because I, I was very fascinated by what he had to say. Again, how how he breaks story down and just all that stuff was great. What I, and with the fact that he said that, you know, that one line he says I love it. And this is why I love like art in general, just in, in whether whatever medium you're doing, people will take things and just run with things just for whatever reason. Like, what one thing will inspire someone and something will come completely out of the blue from it or or, you know, maybe out of the blue in this case, but just something that will just feed a, a great story, which I think Falcon Winter Soldier is, um, you know, he made the premise off that and again. That was, and I'm not sure if that was necessarily the, you know, Russo brothers and, um, Oh gosh, Mar Marcus McFeely's uh, intention of that line necessarily, but I don't think it what, was. Yeah, ex exactly. I, I don't think so either. But you know, but that's the beauty of it is that Spellman said, "No, man, I can." He took that and he immediately started thinking of like ideas and themes, and mm. I love that. I love the fact that that line fed all the pretty much the the basis of that show, and because the show is so good. And it's like that one line inspired. I just love that. I mean, obviously, it was or was the, the the birth of that, if you will. And I think that to me, that's where I I personally just really just got behind. Made even it made the show even stronger at that point because again, mm -hmm. like you knew they had to have that all in, you know in all in line before that they went filming. They had to get all the scripts and stuff written and you know, develop the story. But like. You know, it that idea was of you know of taking everything that you know. Obviously, when Ke when Falcon first became Captain America in the comic books, there was a controversy. You know, and there were still those things, unfortunately, that are around. And you know, Spellman probably knew that. And I, I just I would love to know his comic book background if that you know if that played a part in it. I don't know. I wish again. I wish I would well, have more time. Well, Nate Moore mentioned. I mean, Malcolm Spellman was the first person who brought up including Isaiah Bradley in the show. And, well, that's right. Yeah. He, yeah and that's right, and that's so right. I think that was where and yeah, to that point of intention, I mean, maybe that was on the minds of the Russo brothers and Marcus and McFeely in Endgame. But I don't think it was, I think, in their minds. And yeah. that's not to criticize them. I just think in, no, no, in no, their no. minds as they were developing it, they were initially thinking just about the larger than life legacy of Captain America and Steve Rogers. And, and in a more singular sort of level, you know, individual to Steve Rogers and Sam Wilson living up to the legacy of Steve Rogers and Captain America. But yeah, Malcolm Spellman would see it from that perspective because legacy was still part of it, but also the other the other broader perspective of this isn't just Sam Wilson for himself. This is Sam Wilson for the black community and in an even broader sense than that for people of color who are not just blonde hair, blue eyed white men who, you know, Steve Rogers isn't obviously that's not who Steve Rogers was trying to only represent in his own life and his own heroism as Captain America. But just showing that the Stars and Stripes not necessarily representing everyone, Malcolm Spellman identifying that and being able to derive that from, you know, thematically derive that out of the line of it feels like it's someone else's and just run with it. And I think that's part of the beauty of the MCU 
with just passing the baton is somebody can take a line like that, regardless of what was or wasn't intended by a previous creative team to say, well, here's how I see it. And now I get to run with it in this other direction that will challenge the audience to think about this in a way that maybe they initially didn't uh, when they first watched Avengers Endgame. Because even if it was part of the intention for Russo Brothers and Marcus and McFeely, we weren't talking about it in that sense. We didn't talk about that when we did our Endgame spoiler review. And I'm not just saying we as in you and I, I don't really remember, and maybe somebody did. I'm not, I don't want to speak out of turn and say that it didn't exist, but we didn't really get a lot of that coverage about that line in Avengers Endgame saying, here are all the other things that it could mean, even though that may not have necessarily been what the writers were aware of as they were putting it down. But Malcolm Spellman identified it and he ran with it in this big, beautiful way. And certainly it was a credit to the show. I mean, I think thematically it was the strongest element of the show. It's certainly a thing that we kept coming back to week after week as we were watching and then breaking down these episodes. And it was just, uh, it, it was, it really enriched the series. And you can see why Malcolm Spellman got the job as the head writer of the series. It would have been nice to also get a little bit more from Kari Skogland, who directed the entire series. I mean, I, I felt like the WandaVision assembled episode did a good job of balancing Matt Shackman's background with the whole, with sitcoms and how that got him the job directing as well as Jack Schaefer's perspective that got her the head writer job. With this one, we certainly got a lot of Malcolm Spellman's perspective as we should have. And mm-hmm. Kari Skoglin, she appears in the episode several times and, and explains certain things, but we didn't really necessarily get like the, the moment she got the job sort of insight um, from her. So that would have been cool to see in this episode. But as I said, she still shines with a lot of the other things that she gets to explain about these characters and and certainly talked about balancing, you know, tonally what they were doing as far as, you know, having the the buddies of Sam Wilson and, and Bucky Barnes and, and the buddy comedy aspect with the more intense emotional scenes. And Sebastian Stan really hit on that as far as getting into Kari Skoglin's perspective, getting into the inner thoughts of these characters. And that's when they cut to the therapy session from the first episode and how tight the camera was on Bucky and his therapist, Dr. Rayner. And we talked about that in when we were breaking down the first episode of just how raw and intimate uh, that felt. No hiding for Bucky Barnes. And so it was great to see that part. Also, tonally, though, getting back to Malcolm Spellman and how he explained it, where they were trying to fall within the spectrum of two handers and, and buddy comedies like tonally. And he had his <laughs> spectrum of, you know, 48 hours to, yeah. you know, ride along and then put so like right good. in the middle uh, lethal weapon. But that's a great thing. I mean, that's part of it. I mean, that's a huge part of developing a story is trying to figure yeah. out tonally where do you want to land? And that might shift as you're developing the story because you might realize that what we thought we were doing isn't quite it. But to see where they were, what they were aiming for as they were developing it and the way that Malcolm Spellman explained it, I thought was really great. Um, and they also talked about, you know, Nate Moore talked a lot about Bucky and his need to find purpose without having the only person who believed in him with Steve Rogers. And I think that was one of the, I don't want to call it a pleasant surprise, but the whole time going into the Falcon, the Winter Soldier, I knew that they were going to deliver what they needed to with Sam Wilson. I had full faith in that. I think the question I had was, how are they going to provide Bucky with the emotional weight that he needs in this story? And I didn't doubt that they would do it. It was just not as obvious how they would. And they did such a great job in the series. And I think this episode of Marvel Studios Assembled really helped show that perspective of 
who is Bucky without Steve Rogers and Bucky needing to hear things. I mean, they they cut to the conversation that Bucky had with Sam, where Sam tells him he wasn't amending, he was avenging and you know giving him the tough love that he needed. So all of that was really great. And then, I mean, just quick little cuts of these guys on set. I mean, you could tell it was a blast <laughs> working yeah. on the show. Um, yeah, and must have also been a blast working with Daniel Bruhl. Um, oh my God, yes. You realize watching this behind the scenes special, I mean, and I've seen him in other interviews and he's been very charismatic and, and entertaining. But in this one, like when he does the suit Covia ad, you're just like, oh, oh man, that's like bored on set. Uh, we have a minute. Let's just shoot this real quick, um, which I'm sure he wrote like on the spot, if not just did it off the top of his head when he mm -hmm. was on camera right there. It was so cool. And you just see like Daniel Brule being and I'm glad like hearing him talk about how much he wanted to revisit the character and being kind of yeah. bummed at the end of Civil War that he was like letting it go and being able to come back to it and bring something completely new to the character. And then also like loving the, you know, having the iconography of the character this time, getting the mask. Um, I still wish we got more of the mask and about the mask in the show, but hopefully that uh, we circle back to that in a future Zemo appearance in the MCU. Um, but I also love that he went to a comic book shop and like pulled covers that had Zemo on it because he's just in you know, into the visual of the character and finally getting mm. to be a part of that. Um, and then seeing how they were inspired by Andy Park's design for Zemo all the way back during Civil War, you know, a look that never made it into that movie. But now here it is um, and was driving was, you know, a driving force visually and then just the overall inspiration to include Zemo in the story. So that was a lot of fun, too. Yeah, Zemo, see, the whole dynamic of the actors, and I think this is what I, I find interesting, because um, I'm going to go, not a little off the cuff, but it's a little bit more kind of my own speculation here, is that I, I know they call it Falcon Winter Soldier, and then they had Captain America Winter Soldier at the very end. Kind of to your point, Sean, that the chemistry that, that and they kind of talked about it too, the chemistry between Mackie and and uh, Sebastian Stan is so is so good. And we already knew that, but the fact that like they kind of acknowledged that in 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 the uh, behind the scenes thing is that they they had the small amount of time they had together, they knew, even though we felt that as an audience, mm -hmm. but even they, I mean, like let's be real here, just just be real talk. Studios don't always see in line with the with their audiences. That is a fact. Because if it were, if that was the fact, then these studios would be, you know, every studio would have like just, you know, making money off after money and whatever. But eventually they lose touch, right? Marvel has done the unprecedented job of being able to tap in and keep and keep using and keep people yep. engaged for Great a long, point. long, long time. And the reason is they they are like the audience. They see something and go, okay, there's something here, right there. These two guys, like it, again, they have limited screen time together. They acknowledge that in the series. When they come back, they go, you know what? We they had a good chemistry together. Because even if I remember correctly. I would see a bunch of behind the scenes stuff, um, not of the show, but of the films or like press stuff with them together. And they're just having a blast. You can mm -hmm. just tell like they just get along. Like they were kind of you can tell, tell their buddies. And so when you watch this series and we talked about, you know, all for uh, at nauseum with the, with the reviews that they have a chemistry. It was interesting to hear, hear them acknowledge that going into the series. Like we got to create a series around these two people. They have a great chemistry. You see it on the set. Like you said, and then you're you're almost thinking like, you know, hear reports about how, you know, 
Bucky or Winter Soldier or whoever he's going to be called later on is going to be at the co-lead in the next, next Fantastic Four movie. And I think that makes sense. It's like, you know, it's like you want to give Captain America his own, you know, Sam Wilson, his own thing, but they have such a great chemistry together and they, they work so well together. You, you have to use them. And it's like, it's just, I love the fact that these two characters are just so, they work so well. It's, and you seeing that on, you know, in real life as well is, is just, I don't know. It's, it's not, it's not something you can always, I mean, you work on sets, you know, probably people always, you know, for a long time, not everyone's going to like love each other. Not, and they're not going to hate each other, but they're not just going to be instantly friends. Like it's like you at your work job, uh, anyone's job, right? You listening, you may love some people at work. You may just be like, okay, at some people at work, not, nothing against them. They just don't connect. And you see that connection between these two people, at least from what we're, we're given. And it definitely shows and they, and they, people reference it and, you need that in shows like this. And it's, I'm really excited that fact that like they're going to continue that. It seems like going forward as well with these two characters. And I think that it makes sense. They're, they're just such a great combination. And uh, yeah, I just seeing that on screen on this behind the scenes was really cool. And to, to add to the Zemo aspect, I love how the director's like, you know, I had like, it's almost like guys, you guys are too, your chemistry, the three of you guys is getting too much. Like I have to like separate you because, and that's my words, you know, basically it kind of get you on track because you guys are supposed to be kind of at odds a little bit and you guys are having a great old time. So I just love the fact that Brule just kind of gets in there and just kind of, he just instantly is already, you know, great chemistry with them as well. And, and again, those things are, those things matter when you make movies and I'm assuming they do because you want people to work well together. You want have things like good chemistry goes on screen, which we get, we saw on the series. And I think to be honest, I think Zemo, if he's not gonna come back in Thunderbolts, he may come back as, you know, in Captain America as, you know, some kind of, uh, either ally or even villain or both, or like he was in the winter soldier, you know, the series. I don't know. It's, it definitely, it definitely feels like there's they want they will they're going to use that that um the chemistry that they had together on screen uh, or the three of them again at some point because it only makes sense so yeah i i love seeing that stuff on there and 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 brule just i just just for the record i just love like his his fashion sense i mean european fashion sense is much different than than the americans and just seeing this like this normal like hangout shirt with this really weird blue like shirt with a bunch of weird designs oh, that's not on his it. hangout shirt that's his prison jumpsuit from the rap is this jumpsuit? Yeah, that's costume actually, dude that's, i thought that's, it was a legitimate shirt no like, no no that's that's <laughs> wardrobe I'm sure Daniel Brühl's fashion sense is completely on point, if for no yeah, other reason than he's the one that. wearing it. Oh my um, gosh! But okay. no, he is—he's uh, awesome, and yeah, I love that Marvel just knows how to read on these things and then just play to the audience right away. But they do it in a way that's earned. It's not just—we know that audiences really liked the back and forth, as limited as it was between Sam and Bucky in Civil War. So let's just make a show out of that. Okay, great. But the laughs that we had in those very brief moments in Civil War, that's not enough to sustain a six-episode series. So you have to earn it with the relationship between these guys, and it has to go past just the, you know, these guys just give each other a hard time every chance they get. These guys just going back and forth and and making fun of each other and, and being a pain in the ass toward one another. Okay, great, but... That won't sustain a six-hour story. It has to be more than that. And they went in-depth in the series, and I thought they were very true about that. But then also, yeah, knowing how to capitalize on things and just knowing where there's chemistry and and like they had with Zemo. And, then, and also just understanding that 
Just because we saw one side of Zemo on one specific hyper-focused mission on Civil War doesn't mean that's all of who this guy is. I mean, they talked about that in the show as well, that, you know, we had, we saw Zemo in this very specific moment in time in his life, and there was still the space to go do something else with that character and show, thanks to Daniel Bruhl and his performance, that there's so much more to this guy that you just had no idea existed in Civil War because you just didn't have the opportunity. But as uh, co-executive producer Zoe Nagel, who'd also pointed out just the point that, you know, Zemo's mission in Civil War, while he was going about things in the very wrong way and just killing people and not worrying about the collateral damage, he was coming from a place of, you know, an understandable place. This is a guy who lost his family as a result of a battle that the Avengers were in and even a battle that the Avengers, you know, that doesn't happen at all without the Avengers, because obviously Ultron and all that stuff. So I, I like that they were honest about that and then it allowed that to just carry forward into what would be next with this guy. And they did a good job of exploring that. But yeah, still so much more ground that they can cover with Zemo. And uh, speaking of Zoe Nagel, who the co-executive producer on this, also talked about John Walker and where they go with the super soldier serum and talking about how uh, she really does a good job of hitting the point of the desire to do good is not enough to be cap. And that I think is John Walker to a T in the Falcon and the winter soldier is that he wants to do, I think in, I, I don't think John Walker was ever completely evil in mm -hmm. the way that he was portrayed in the Falcon and the winter soldier. He definitely did things that were absolutely wrong but we did see an initial desire to do good. And we also saw another desire to do good in the in the finale of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. But just showing how that's not enough, how good intentions are not enough. You have to have the character. You have to have the resolve to follow through. And I, and I think that was a theme that was also explored uh, even more so with Carly Morgenthau, who they also uh, touched on in this special and certainly gave a lot of love to Aaron Kellerman and rightfully so. But before we get into uh, Carly, just to finish up on on John Walker, it's just another example of how the creatives involved with these series and these films, they just get it. I mean, I, I think the way that they're able to just articulate and and just hone in on these things as they're developing these stories of who these characters are, the role that they represent in the story, um, and how they have the opportunity to do that just based on a lot of their story that was pre-existing in the source material and being able to take from that and apply it into the Marvel Cinematic Universe in these ways that enrich the individual stories that we're watching in the moment. And then, of course, the broader MCU as it just keeps building and building and building. And John Walker was a great example of that, how they just they saw something and they were able to successfully tap into it in the series. Yeah. I, I think that that to me was, again, I love John Walker in the series, not, not what he obviously did, but the, as the character himself and the, the confliction and just kind of what he represents, I think as this normal, yeah. it's okay uh, to not, like John Walker as a character. Every, I know like everybody's like, Oh, John, I hate John Walker. Well, I don't like what Thanos did either, but Thanos is an awesome villain. So well, like, right, it's, it's right, just right. that no. like he's, I, no. I like that John Walker is a very, uh, I think he's a very interesting and complex character. Absolutely. And, and it's, by the way, I know a lot of people didn't like the little dance thing that he did at the end of the, uh, as the U.S. agent, uh, whatever. And I'm like, you know, that, to me, that just kind of shows you 
for the record, I just want to say that just kind of shows you that how just deranged and not deranged, but like how lost he was without having some kind of purpose yeah. to give him, give him life. So just keep that in mind for people. Well, who yeah, he's he's a little bit pitiful. And that dance, yeah. I think, shows it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and again, the dance was just, it was just a very it was very odd and out of place yeah. for a reason. And I think he's just, just know. yeah, he's just kind of a dope, just like the name is odd, because I think Valentina doesn't. Like we talked about it in the finale, like Valentina gives him that name because he's a cheese ball who needs that name. Like that's exactly. it. Exactly. Great like, point. And, and mm-hmm. so, and cheese balls dance. Yeah. I, I jam cheese ball. I dance all the time. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, I, I think that with John Walker, it was cool kind of seeing, um, again, everyone kind of talk about the character and, and just knowing that it felt very natural to put that character in the story because, and let's be real. Marvel's a franchise. They got, they're, they have, thousands of characters they want to put out on the screen and to like, you know, sell, you know, merchandise for and, and, and what have you. And, and I think us agent obviously is, it is a very natural fit here. And it only made sense. And I love the fact again, that the MCU, the beauty of the MCU is always, and I'll always will say this, is that it just, it, it adapts, but it also just, it knows what to take and borrow and enhance because it never loses sight of the overall story. Cause the story, as we all know, is, very heavily based off of the Falcon, you know, and becoming Captain America story, but taking other major elements, I mean, or even actually you took two stories and put them together with the original captain storyline with Sam Falcon and, uh, becoming, becoming Captain America, both those combined, you get Falcon winter soldier. And cause you literally is, I just, I just reread the captain again, and which is, I think still my favorite Captain America story. It's phenomenal. It, it's maybe a little bit dated, but man, John Walker, and it only honestly enhanced my love for that character and seeing that reading the comic books and watching behind the scenes stuff and them talking about it, how it felt like a very natural thing. 100%. I mean, I wish, in fact, I wish they would say like, actually, you know, the story is pretty much based off of this comic book or heavily, heavily, you know, borrowed from, they didn't really talk about that, but it's, it's there. Like it's 100% there. And it was also really great seeing uh, Lamar Hoskins, uh, the guy who played him. I forgot his name. Oh, Clay Bennett. Yeah. Like talking about having the comic book and like hoping mm-hmm. he got a suit. Like, yeah, no, hoping he got a suit and saying he, you know, he had the comic book and he, he knew the character. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought that was so cool. And like, I just, again, that, that little stuff is, you know, it goes long with, with people like me and just, and again, you don't have to like love, you know, you don't have to be like, I enriched myself with the character, but just, you know, I love, and even Carly, you know, for that, from that moment, you know, she, and said she read the character is vastly different. She did research. I love that. Like, I'm not saying you have to love everything or be like, I'm a comic book fan now because of this role. You don't have to say that. Just, you know, give a shout out to what, you know, is out there before. And I love the fact that he's like, oh yeah, I had the comic book, Captain America's on the cover and blah, blah, blah. And they showed it. I'm like, oh God. And I, by the way, that's a Ron Friends cover. So good. Um, So, and yeah, seeing that, and hearing that is so great. And I just love you. I hope I get a suit. And it's like, exactly. He gets it. He mm-hmm. gets it. So yeah, that was, it was great to see, um, Wyatt Russell kind of talk about, I wish they had more time with, with Wyatt Russell, to be honest. Um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of cool then going into that ideas of like, you know, using John Walker for what they needed to do in the story. And it only felt natural. So it was, again, it made it, to me. It was it was great to see. I wish I had more. I wish, I wish this was like more like the original Mandalorian gallery where it had like five episodes. You it know, was eight episodes. Feel, yeah, it was or eight, eight episodes. It was one yeah, episode was, of Disney Gallery for every single episode of the show. Um, right. And 
I think they realize that's probably not sustainable for as many series as they're doing. So I get it. But um, yeah, this easily had that. Yeah, I I don't know that this needed to be six episodes, but I could have gone another hour with this. uh, Getting more uh, getting more info. But yeah, Clay Bennett telling the story of being and and I don't really care if someone's a fan or not before they get involved in the MCU. They're actors. This is their job. And I just want them to do a good job when they're playing these characters. But it is fun when you get a story like this of a guy who already knew who this character was, was already a fan of this character and knowing what it meant. Like when he sees the name Lamar Hoskins as the role that he's trying out for to like know that that's know what that could mean, because that's not. Uh, that's a more obscure name in Marvel comics. So that's not something that everybody just automatically knows. Like if you're reading for the role of Peter Parker, like you know what that is. But if you're reading for the role of Lamar Hoskins, you may not immediately know. Most of the people who were probably considered for that role did not immediately know who that was. And so it's great that Clay Bennett uh, was a fan and also got the job uh, and got to play the character. I honestly wish that he didn't die in this series. I like know. I, Ugh. I, I still and I don't even think he needed to. I mean, I, I think if you were to just say that he was knocked out and in a coma and John Walker thought he was dead and that's why he lost it and did what he did in episode four. And then you cut back to Lamar Hoskins still being alive in subsequent episodes like I really would have liked that because I thought Clay Bennett had something as Lamar Hoskins and, and Marvel had something with Clay mm-hmm. Bennett as Lamar Hoskins in uh, in that series. And so uh, and to know that he was a fan, it's like, oh, man, like I, I really wish his time in the MCU uh, wasn't so short lived. No tragic pun intended. Um, yeah. yeah, that that that, that is a, it. It's a fun surprise, but it also makes it even a little more disappointing that yeah. uh, Lamar Hoskins, uh, his story won't continue. Um, but they also talked about uh, Contessa Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, played by Julia Louis-Dreyfus. And I was glad that this got featured in there because one of the things that I've noticed about Disney Gallery, like they did for the second season of The Mandalorian, and even some of the stuff with WandaVision, it felt like these episodes these specials were being put together by a team that didn't have access to all of the information like there's no luke skywalker or boba fett in Jabba's palace in uh disney gallery the mandalorian for season two and it felt like some of the surprises for wandavision were also held out and so it's nice that this one actually got to talk about everything that's in the show because this was one of the i think not the biggest surprise, I guess, story-wise, but just here's a really famous, award-winning, acclaimed actor who's now in this series, and it wasn't, you know, headline news before she actually popped up in this episode. So, you know, that they actually got to include that and, and talk about that and confirm our suspicions a bit. Like Zoe Nagel, who the co-executive producer, referred to uh, Val, or don't call her that, just keep it in your head, uh, referred to her as the shady type of Nick Fury. So this is mm. like Dark Avengers, Thunderbolts, whatever that she's putting together. And I thought that was a really good sign of her future. Mm. And also Julia Louis-Dreyfus talking about it, how she enjoys you know, playing this character, this female mastermind who's three steps ahead of everyone. And also talks about like who is this character, good or bad, and talks about living in the gray zone. And I think that's a good spot for Val. And I think if we're really looking at it, I mean, it's not... It's not that far off from Nick Fury, 
But you could say if they're both existing in shades of gray, maybe Nick Fury is leaning toward a lighter shade and Val is maybe, you know, a darker shade, as we'll see with that character uh, in the future. But yeah, I, I love that. And I also love they they focus on her line again about things as they're talking about her being three steps ahead of everyone. They have her line from the last episode about how things are about to get weird. And we know that things are coming up in the MCU, Secret Invasion and tons of other things in phase four movies and, and series. And it seems like she's someone who is ahead of the game on that. And Nick Fury was a little ahead of the curve, which we later found out mm -hmm. because he had this experience in the 90s with Captain Marvel that we didn't know about when we watched phase one. But uh, Valentina is a few steps ahead of everyone. And she seems to know what's coming, which also means that she's going to be probably pretty close to the center of it. Yeah, that was really cool. I was not expecting her to be featured because of like the things like the Mandalorian, right? Where they didn't show Luke or Boba Fett in Jabba's palace or whatever. But it was really great to kind of see, you know, her kind of basically even like very, again, I don't know if it, it just was on purpose for them to put this in here, but she's kind of speaking off the cuff thinking like, well, they're not going to put this in if it's not a spoiler or anything. Right. And, and yeah. they left it in there. So she's like, you know, it's nice to see a female masterminds about time. I agree with her. Um, and I like the fact that she acknowledged, like you said, the whole Nick Fury thing, which was definitely what we kind of, we picked up on. And I'm really excited because they're hinting at something with this. And I love the fact that she's at, you know, the whole it's going to get weird and just the idea that you know what drew her to the character was like the name and how ridiculously over the top and awesome it was mm -hmm. and that again she is that nick fury kind of character and it honestly almost confirms to me that they definitely have a, had a relationship at some point like or just like there or somehow they had some rivalry if not a romantic relationship maybe i don't know but it just, you know, again, I'm only going by off the comic books of what, you know, what their, you know, their comic book relationship was. So it just kind of like it makes it kind of exciting to see like maybe them together and what that's going to be like the Samuel Jackson. And, and oh, my God, it's going to be an amazing like thing to me. So I got really excited. And, and again, it only confirmed to me that there is that Thunderbolt slash Dark Avengers thing that's going on and they're going to slowly build towards. And it's exciting because when you when you get all of that together it's, you know, Marvel is doing something different with their phases and we're not just going to get, which we'll get to later on with the, our, our preview thing here you know, we'll get to in a few minutes, but, um, they're definitely building towards something and it's, it's just so unique already to even Marvel itself, which at this point after Endgame, how is that even possible? But as we know from the comic books that they've got so many stories and characters to adapt and, and adjust. And they haven't, I mean, this is just a tip of the iceberg, in my opinion, of the rich storytelling that goes on in comic books. And especially with Marvel, obviously, because Marvel's one of my favorite things ever in this life. Uh, yeah. But, but yeah, but I think that like, this is just a great example of like, you know, a moment in time for us to see like where they're going in, the, in this new phase and they're building something that, you know, what, what they do with that, I have no idea, but there's so many different directions. It's exciting to know. And that she basically confirms it in this little snippet of an interview. Yeah, she did. And it's, it's super exciting. I, I cannot wait to see yeah. what's next and where Valentina is going to pop up. I know Vanity yeah. Fair reported Black Widow, but that's mostly set in the past. So where, to, unless it's like a jump, forward in time i don't know maybe we see her there but then even if we see her in black widow where after that because it seems mm -hmm. like this is a character who's going to pop up at least somewhat frequently as uh, as time goes on so they also showed the set of 
Zemo's uh, apartment or one of the family's properties, as we saw in Falcon and Winter Soldier, and the Dora Milaje fight. And I like that they gave uh, Florence Kasumba a chance to talk about Io, and she talks about how much she loves playing that character. And so that was great. They also addressed the power broker reveal and uh, Sharon's story. I found it kind of interesting where Malcolm Spellman was saying, I thought for sure the power broker storyline was not going to work. And I'm like, well, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> in, in my view, it didn't. Um, but it's not that big of a deal. Like we I, I don't need to rehash it. Wasn't a big fan of that storyline. I don't think they ultimately gave it the time it needed. And I also don't think the story needed that plot line. It could, it could have just been cut out. And the series is exactly the same, only stronger because it doesn't have this tiny little annoyance dragging it down. But, you know, they gave it the they gave it the the attempt to try and, and make it work. And, you know, it just it, it didn't work for me. And, and I know you weren't a big fan of either. But either way, so many other things are working, uh, especially Carly Morgenthau. And I really like what Spellman and uh, Skoglin had uh, had to say about Aaron Kellerman. You know, Spellman even says nothing. He actually says, quote, nothing in the show works without Aaron Kellerman, which is really high praise. I mean, considering that this is the mm -hmm. Falcon and the Winter Soldier, this is about Sam and Bucky and therefore Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan. But here's Malcolm Spellman, the head writer, saying that this boils down to, you know, obviously you still need Anthony Mackie and Sebastian Stan, but like they got to have someone to go up against. And that's Aaron Kellyman, as uh, Kari Skoglin points out, instantly likable, but also has a background written in her face, talks about like her resolve. And that's stuff we touched on in the podcast where we didn't get a ton of backstory about Carly Morgenthau, but there was just a presence that Aaron Kellyman kept bringing to the character in each of her scenes that really carried a lot of weight. You know, it she did a lot of the heavy lifting that not that wasn't necessarily in the script or if it was in the script then it wasn't necessarily in all the edits of getting all this information about Carly. I mean, we got enough to kind of understand her perspective, but so much of it came from the performance and Spellman really did a good job explaining the the importance of that saying that they had to earn the honest conversations between Sam and Carly. And the only way that works is with the actor, really the actors. But of course, we already know with Anthony Mackie. So the other side of that had to be Aaron Kellerman, who did such a great job and really showing us that hero that goes bad. You know, as Malcolm Spellman um, explains, you know, that she's pushing back against a game that's rigged. It's someone or a group of people with the Flag Smashers just saying enough's enough and, and pushing back. And so there are heroic intentions there, noble intentions but then she goes bad, as Nate Moore also explains that, you know, who the super soldiers become, like what happens when you successfully recreate the super soldier serum. We saw how Steve Rogers responded to it, and he responded to it in a very positive way. We saw how Carly Morgenthau and John Walker as well, how they responded to it in a negative way, where each of them had their own good intentions, but each of them found a way um, to ultimately be corrupted uh, by the the power that they had attained. Um, and that for Carly wasn't just the super soldier serum. It was also her influence, of course, with the Flag Smashers uh, being beloved by millions of people all around the world. So that was certainly one of the more fascinating aspects of the series to watch week after week. 
And I'm in complete agreement with the creators of this series that Erin Kellyman really brought it for them. Yeah, she was, to me, again, I, I really liked it. And all, I, there was more criticism of, of her that I, I realized when I, when I was kind of just perusing, like, you know, just Twitter or YouTube or whatever. And I'm like, man, really? Oh, weird. Because I, you know, again, no show was perfect. And they could have done more to flesh out a little more of what kind of she was doing. I, I, sure. But to me, it's all about when you're, when, I, when I'm watching a TV show or a film, it's all about the presence of the, a lot of times of the actor or the actress or whatever, and seeing what, and what they can do with the dialogue and the story they're given. And I've always gone, you know, and said that actors will lift mediocre to, you know, bad dialogue because they're good actors, you know, and a bad actor will make good dialogue be bad. It's just reality without someone delivering, you know, and having that presence on screen, it, it will lose a lot of whatever's on the page, whether it be for better or for worse. And to me, Ackerman just totally, um, you know, she, she brought it and, um, I thought she was great. And I, I, I just seen her again, just talking about it. And again, she talked about doing research and things like that. It's like, that's exactly what you want to have, an, you know, someone of her nature to do. It's like, go out, research, understand, like, Hey, this is a much different character than the scripts that I've been given. But, and again, the dynamic they give her is still the essence of what the character is. And they talk about that in the show as well, that the essence is like, it's the, their, their mission's the same, but how they are presented, it, not even physically, but just as a person and how, what they're doing is different. And I think this totally made more sense. And I love that she brought it on this show. And to me, I'm with, with 100% with Malcolm. This is 100% without a doubt, without a charismatic. Now, again, well, there's going to be, you know, mistakes or there's going to be not perfections here on the show, but without her, being, you know, the head flag smasher or whatever, you're not going to get this show as good. Like, it's just not. You need to have that young idealist person to be out there to to have people kind of connect to and know it has to be that voice for people don't want to be and or or too or too weak or too scared to, to speak up. And to have someone of her nature to go out and do that and and portray that is is really impressive regardless of you know how well they fleshed out her character to me it's all about the presence on screen and she brings it every she's in she's totally in my opinion like is on the same level as everyone else in that show and she's obviously a lot younger than everyone on that show so i mean that just shows you the promise and i think to me i think she's an up-and-coming star because there's something about when she's on screen i just i'm glued to there's just something about her it's, she's just a fascinating person and the way she presents herself and delivers her lines there's a charisma to her and i think that there's definitely something there and you just see it and you can tell she takes it seriously. And I think it's awesome. I think she has a, a huge, huge promising career. I think so too. I mean, we talked about it, I think during, I think during our, our coverage of the finale, but if not there, then somewhere else. But I mean, I could see an Enfys Nest series just on the basis of this, you know, obviously Carly Morgenthau was gone at the end of this series. So I don't really see a, a place for her in the future of the Marvel cinematic universe, Marvel cinematic universe, but um, certainly in the case of Aaron Kellerman, uh, yeah, I agree with you. Very bright future. Doesn't have to be in big franchise worlds like Marvel mm -hmm. and, and Star Wars. But at the same time, um, I could see you know her performance being so 
uh, impactful here that people look at that. Disney looks at that and says, maybe we have something here with this performer that we should explore. And she just so happens to already exist in Star Wars. So let's try running with that for a few episodes and uh, and see how it goes. Um, they also did a good job explaining uh, or talking about how now this being the Marvel Cinematic Universe, anybody could pop in at any point in time. And they chose the right person with Rhodey back in the first episode of The Falcon and the Winter Soldier. And Don Cheadle even talked about something that hadn't necessarily considered. And and maybe the reason I, I don't know if I considered it as much is because it wasn't really, it was not a plot point that was emphasized or even really discussed at all in Iron Man 3. But you know he talked about Rhodey's experience as a black man wearing the Stars and Stripes as Iron Patriot, which I'm sure Rhodey would have had complicated feelings about that in Iron Man 3. We just didn't really get to explore them in Iron Man 3 because it just wasn't about that. Would have been interesting, though, um, to get Rhodey's perspective on that in Iron Man 3. But also touching on what we read into it when we saw that episode of, you know, Rhodey understanding everything, all the reasons why Sam didn't want to take the shield right away and just handed it over to the museum. But Rhodey really wanted Sam to take it um, for all that it could potentially mean. And of course, we eventually see that by the end of the series. But that's the key thing for me with the Marvel Cinematic Universe that I don't think they always get enough credit for it. But hey, here I am with my own MCU podcast. So that's why we get to give credit to this stuff all the time. But I feel like there's always this talk of the MCU of, oh, they just cram everything in because they can and and all of that. And I don't really think that's true. I I think that, yeah, maybe they kind of forced Sharon Carter into the story and she didn't need to be. But I think that was uh, I think that was an honest attempt to do something interesting in the story, because it's not like the world was out there saying we need Sharon Carter in another story or anything like that. It's not the same level. It's not like. You have a ton more people who are watching this show because Sharon Carter is in it. So I don't think that was about just including another name character from the MCU. But when we have these cameos like Rhodey in the first episode that I think Marvel is pretty honest about how they do these. Like, does it actually make sense in the story? Because there are a lot of famous names from the MCU that they could have put in this story. But if you are going to include one, who actually matters thematically within this story and who whose presence might actually mean something and who might relate to one of the title characters of the story in Sam Wilson. And that's Rhodey. And so I, I think that's where just the choice to include him was a, a perfectly valid one creatively, not just the cynical, oh, add in another cameo to make uh, the MCU fans go crazy, but something that actually adds value to the story. Uh, and I think Rhodey does that in his uh, his appearance in the very first episode. So I, I really loved it. And I'm glad that they included uh, I'm really glad they included a note about that in this uh, assembled episode. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm with you. It was it was really cool to kind of have and it, they felt it was important to kind of bring those two characters together. And I, I totally, totally agree with that. Yeah. And then Isaiah Bradley. And as we mm-hmm. mentioned earlier in the show, Malcolm Spellman was the one who asked about Isaiah first, according to executive producer Nate Moore. And, and Nate Moore talks about it, how he he says there was that question of what is the journey of being black in America through time? And I like that Spellman 
he made a point about Isaiah Bradley that was really a, a different perspective than I think we had seen or, or discussed. And he talked about how, although it, it totally makes sense, I think it just articulates it in a really strong way where uh, Malcolm Spellman or Malcolm Spellman was saying that Isaiah Bradley was kind of the embodiment of your hero's fears. And I think we saw that too. And we certainly saw that within the series of Isaiah Bradley having the, the well-earned cynicism. I mean, he had every right to have the perspective that he had based on the experience that he went through. And he represented a lot of things, as uh, Malcolm Spellman said, the embodiment of your hero's fears. A lot of the things that Sam was worried about and things that maybe he was already conscious of and even things maybe he wasn't conscious of. And I think that's part of the reason why it was such a shock for Sam to learn of the existence of Isaiah Bradley and then to have to sit down and hear Isaiah Bradley's truth that, you know, this is the the hate that you are worried about. These are the challenges that you are up against and all the things that you were that you've been weighing on your mind ever since Steve Rogers handed you that shield, here's a living example of it, except it's a living example you didn't even get to know existed until now because of all those reasons and all those things that you are afraid of. But it also, in allowing Isaiah Bradley, I mean, I think he's an individual character in his own sense, but as far as what he represents as a supporting character in Sam's story is by embodying the things that Sam is worried about, it allows Sam the opportunity to go into this mission in an honest way, knowing full well what he's getting himself into. Because as Spellman points out, and Sam is able to spell this out for himself in his speech as Captain America, saying like, when I pick up the shield, I know millions of people are gonna hate me for it. That that line that Isaiah Bradley has, which says they'll never let a black man be Captain America, well, it's not about waiting for permission, as we talked about on the show. Sam's just going to go do it. But it's also knowing that no matter what Sam does, in the in the eyes of some, they're never going to let him be Captain America in the sense that they're never going to acknowledge or embrace him as Captain America. But he's doing it anyway. And I think that's the one of the beautiful aspects of the show is that, and very meaningful and impactful aspects of the show, is that Sam does this knowing that there's still a lot of what Isaiah Bradley is saying that is completely right, but he's just not going to let that stop him. He's not going to let anyone else tell him what he gets to do, the symbol that he gets to be, the, of what he gets to fight for. That's not going to be dictated to him by you know those who hate him, and it's going to be it, it's going to be about the good that he wants to do in the world. It's going to be about his own sense of of doing the right thing and standing up for people. And so I, I love that there's this thing of, of Sam being able to go into it with completely clear eyes and an honest perspective and knowing all the challenges ahead of him, as he says in the finale, like I might fail, I might even die, but this is what he needs to do. And th this is what, you know, he has no less right to fight for this country than anybody else. And so I just, I, I absolutely love it. And, you know, the way they included Isaiah Bradley in this story, as we talked about during the spoiler reviews, it was so great. And then hearing the perspective of that they had going into it, you see why it turned out as great as it did, mm -hmm. because they, yeah. they had the perfect ideas going into it. Yeah, I, I love how, again, uh, Malcolm just brought so many different aspects to the, the mythos of the super social program and 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 really drove you know, used all of that to kind of drive their narrative and their themes really home. And again, like 
amazing how it all lined up with the real life. And it just, it's crazy how much it all kind of came together as far as, you know, being an important, you know, it needed to happen. This need, We needed to have Sam Wilson as Captain America now more than ever. And I think it's, it's a great opportunity and it's a great, it, they've done great work with it already, but it's just a great thing to have now going forward with. Um, so it was it was great to see them kind of talk about that, and I loved the TLC, um, the, the the love and care that they really gave that last speech, and I love the fact that it was just Malcolm and Mackie just mm-hmm. going back and forth so for hours, making sure that everything that he said was going to be from the heart, and that is so important, you know, to me to to yeah. have that, you know, to, to have your, the, the person giving the speech, to have that part of the freedom of the writing. I mean, I'm sure it happens you know, all the time in these kinds of instances, I'm assuming, but the, just the fact that like, you know, definitely you could just tell the way Mackie was talking about it, the way he was talking about it. Like they, they did everything they could as, you know, to, to give that speech and make it have the impact it needed to have during this time. And I just, I really appreciate it. I really, because I love the speech because it yeah. felt, it felt very, it felt very appropriate without being too over the top. And it felt, it just, it felt very natural. And I yeah. that's what they were going for. And that's what I felt that was the success of that whole speech was that it never felt like, here's my soapbox. It felt very much ground level. Like we're all in the same playing field, but yeah. we have to start figuring this stuff out. Well, the key piece to that was, as Malcolm Spellman said, that it, couldn't just be a speech. Like one of the things that Mackie really, that they landed on early in those conversations, what he needed to be talking to someone as he was talking to those representatives of the GRC, including that unnamed Senator uh, from the U S like it needed to be that, like he needed to be making an argument, making these points to someone as opposed to like, you know, standing up on a podium at the, cause they could have done it that way. Right. This this could have easily been go through the main action of the series and then we end with Sam Wilson like in his new Captain America suit on a podium just like like he was when he was right. uh, giving up the shield in the beginning and giving some big speech to to the world but effectively to no one directly and just speaking in these platitudes and about being Captain America and that would have been fine and I think we still would have liked it but this was more impactful because it was off the cuff. Like this is Sam just being able to say everything he's been feeling uh, over the past, however long, you know, several months since he had been handed the shield and gave it up and then going through the events of this story and being able to summarize all of it into this speech that it effectively is a speech, but it isn't one. I mean, he's just making his arguments to these few people right here. And it just so happens that, because I think he says all of this, everything he says in this speech that we love so much, he says all the same words and all the same things. It all happens the the same way, even if there's no cameras there. It just so happens that there were cameras there and the whole world was watching and got to see what Sam Wilson as Captain America had to say. And I think they did a really good job, you know, not just on the speech. And, and I love how much care went into it of Spellman and Mackey spending hours going back and forth on that speech. And Anthony Mackey, it being really important to him as the guy who's going to have to say it, as the guy who's going to be the new Captain America 
to make sure that these are things that he feels are honest, that these are things he actually wants to say and can believe in as the character he's playing, but also as the man being that character and, and who's going to be identified as that character to so many people around the world. So I love that that level of care went into it. Not that you would expect anything less, but it's still nice to, it's yeah. still very nice to hear it. But then also talking about like the symbol, why does there need to be a Captain America as Zoe Nagel, who points out, like what does it mean today compared to when it was created? And that's definitely something that was explored in the series. And Mackie talking about that idea of being your brother's keeper, which was uh, also something that, I mean, obviously it's a familiar theme, but also something that Ryan Coogler talked a lot about in developing the story for Black Panther and just saying that, you know, he's Sam Wilson, he's earned the right to be Captain America. And then you know, my favorite quote from Mackie, I mean, I, I think it, I, I had to write down the whole thing because I thought it was so good when he just talked about how he feels about being Captain America and he and playing and arriving at that uh, you know spot in the story of Sam Wilson in uh, by the last episode of the Falcon Winter Soldier and he said quote it's been an emotional experience especially in the time in which we live in now for Marvel to give me the opportunity as a black man from the South to become Captain America I think says a lot not only about the work that I've put in to get to this point that they would entrust me with that, but the way they're hoping to change the way society looks at itself, end quote. And that is very important. I mean, I think it's the importance of it is fairly obvious just based on the statement alone, but I, I think it speaks to the power and responsibility of these stories. We know that Marvel Studios, and it's not that they've been perfect all along, far from it when it comes to mm -hmm. representation and inclusion within this franchise, but we know it's something that they are actively trying to be better at, and they have been improving uh, on that. And that whole thing of hoping to change the way society looks at itself, well, that's part of where having Sam Wilson as uh, as Captain America, that there is, it's, there is an aspirational quality to it. Like, why should this be controversial? Why should this be anything other than completely hopeful and inspiring. We're going to treat it that way because that's what it should be. And that's mm -hmm. the way that we as a society should be viewing these things and should be viewing ourselves as what is our common struggle and the the whole idea of us being in this together and actually working toward uh, being better collectively and doing better collectively. And so I love that Sam Wilson gets to represent that idea. And Anthony Mackie is certainly communicating that in his approach to this character and his whole philosophy behind, uh, you know, in his perspective on, you know, playing this character, especially now and, and where, how this character has progressed Sam Wilson to being the new Captain America. And yeah, the, the responsibility that comes with these stories, I mean, thematically, this is not to say like that Marvel did uh, a perfect job with everything that they explored in this series there. I don't know that there is such a thing as a perfect way to do it, but Going over these themes, and, and one of the things I've touched on as we've gone through the spoiler reviews was just, you know, this is the most mainstream form of entertainment that exists, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. By any measure, it's the most popular thing. Um, you know, like it's, we look at the highest grossing movies year over year, and The Falcon and the Winter Soldier is has been one of, the, one of, if not the most watched shows on streaming week after week. And this is the type of territory. These are the themes that are being addressed very directly uh, in the series and, and hopefully sparking conversation. And even if it's not necessarily sparking 
conversation, although I think it is, but even beyond that, just giving people something to look at, giving them a shining example of how things can be better and, and how we can be and, and do better, uh, I think is so significant. It's such a wonderful contribution of this series, but it only works because they developed it in a really strong, relevant, and, and honest, emotional way. Um, and you can just see it over and over again throughout this special of just how much thought and care went into it, which is why it works as well as it does. Yeah, that's very well said. I, I, I couldn't, you've said it better than I ever could. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it would be nice to end it right there, but there was something we haven't talked about yet. So I do want to, I want to talk about the impacts to, or there are a few things I want to talk about that they hit on in this episode. Um, uh, We mentioned it uh, a little bit ago, but changes to the schedule and changes Mm. to the story. Some of it because of COVID, but even before that, I mean, they talked about how they were going to go to Puerto Rico and there was an earthquake and then they were still going to go to Puerto Rico. And then on the eve of going to Puerto Rico, there was another earthquake and they just decided uh, they couldn't go. And then so they had to rewrite that and then they were going to go to Prague anyway. So then they just expanded on that. And then a week into their production or their filming in Prague, uh, that was when obviously the pandemic, I mean, it had already been around, but that one's certainly the the presence of it became much, much bigger. And, you know, just the the chaos of even getting people home, you know, to that time we're talking about having to call, Mm. you know, their production executive or whoever, you know, at two o'clock in the morning, their time to and start calling every crew member to get them on flights before they would be stuck there and not be able to get home. So getting everybody home safely and then getting everything back up and running. And because they were they're not shooting in the U.S., they were shooting in Prague like they had to be they had to get the approval of the Czech government of like, here's how we're going to be able to come in and and be safe uh, while we're making our show in your country, like and, and get that approval and all the virtual scouting that they had to do and all of the different adjustments from a logistics point of view, but also from a creative perspective, as Nate Moore was explaining. I mean, when you're a writer telling a story and you you expect to be going to a certain location, you're writing to that location. And you're not when it turns out you're not going there anymore, well, whatever story point was completely dependent on where you were, that goes away and that has to be retooled. And I think that was something that I think for the most part, the series did a really good job of holding together and and being able to have uh, a really great and and coherent story. I think there were maybe some points here or there where you could see that some things just didn't quite gel the way they normally do. Um, You know, they don't didn't quite come together and, and weren't quite as seamless as they normally are in Marvel Studios projects. But and and I would say that there was probably a certain amount of this that was if not all of it, that was due to the pandemic and the interruptions in production. Because we know one of the things Marvel Studios famously does is they have reshoots and additional photography on like everything they do. And it felt like with WandaVision to some extent and and also to the with the Falcon and Winter Soldier that they were maybe some of these things that are ordinarily reshot or redone or just additional photography is done so they can cut things out and add in new stuff that's better that maybe they didn't get to do as much of that on these series. So there was stuff that wasn't quite a material that still made the cut on these in the way that um, that they don't normally. Um, so that was something that I felt like was happening in the series. And I don't know how true that is because I don't know what 
specifically was cut out or altered or whatever. We'll never know all the specifics of what would have been if not for the earthquakes, the earthquakes in Puerto Rico or the pandemic and the production interruptions as a result of that and any retooling of the story. So there were uh, some times where I felt like I was bumping up against something uh, that wasn't quite, uh, that didn't feel like it, it was quite what it was meant to be or the best that it could be. But honestly, those were those instances were pretty few and far between for me. And, and overall, I stand by all of my overwhelming praise for The Falcon and the Winter Soldier because I, I thought it was a great show. It was interesting to see all of this because um, certainly uh, production in the time of COVID is a very, very difficult thing. So, um, you know, and there are, a lot of things that just become even, I mean, production's always been difficult, but even more difficult in the time of COVID and all the other logistical considerations that you have. So um, there's certainly a lot of that where it was very understandable and it was interesting to uh, delve into some of that. But it also, to me, is just a testament to how good of a team this was to be able to go through and experience all of these challenges and still deliver such an outstanding story. Yeah, I, I felt like the... It was very interesting to see all the different like uh, obstacles that they had in front of them, and then when COVID happened, seeing them film in mask, like you know they were you know, and again they talked about how they used that time to kind of rewrite and re- and redo things, and it definitely I thought about the power broker and and them kind of expanding on that character a little bit. Definitely felt like that, and may, or maybe that's I'm not sure. Maybe that's where um, Val comes into play. I, I don't know. I mean, probably not, but. It's possible. Um, just, I thought it was very interesting, and you could kind of tell that COVID definitely had its way with the show a little bit in different parts. I, I, I just, you know, again, not not a lot, but a little bit. Just again, even the sound of how even WandaVision in this show, just some some of the ADR work is just not the greatest, and it's probably because again they're just kind of they're, they're working from home studios instead of having, you know top of the line stuff, even though digital equipment is, is, is great these days, you know, I mean, to get it like that, to get it out that fast, you know, because I you know Disney probably was probably was like, hey, get this out. We need to get, you know, we need to, we need to shove things on Disney Plus and make it, you know, worthwhile. So um, yeah, besides that, it definitely felt like there was some you could definitely feel that. But it was interesting to see them kind of operating around that. I mean, some of the interviews with Sebastian stands with, with his mask down right below his, you know, under, under his mouth. And it's just kind of him talking and just it's just kind of the the weird world we are in right now. And, and then also them referencing covid, you know, it's just like it's yeah. just weird. It's, it's like, dang, man, this is weird. And yeah. So, I mean, you see people in masks all over set and you see what. I think was surprising about it, but it was also the same thing for WandaVision, which is there's a lot of sequences where you could tell just by the behind the scenes things that were filmed during COVID, you know, like you would think that a lot of it was pre COVID and there was plenty that there was a lot of it that was pre COVID for both WandaVision and the Falcon winter soldier, but there were still a lot of key sequences that were filmed and probably not entirely during COVID. Cause that's the way these things are made is, you make a little bit of it in one spot, you make a little bit of it in another spot. Like when they were talking about just as far as an action sequence goes, like they talked about the truck sequence and they talked about how for John Walker falling off the truck, like he falls off the truck in Atlanta, he gets up in Prague and it's all Germany in the story. So um, it also is just very impressive for the visual continuity uh, that they were able to achieve with that by the the VFX team. But yeah, it's a very complicated thing and, and certainly... Uh, COVID absolutely doesn't help because it just makes everything move 
much much slower uh, when you're trying to get things done on uh, on a set. And time is money, as they say in in the world of production and other things as well. Um, and yeah, it's you know it's it's a very difficult thing. And so the challenges that they were up against um, certainly are were very very real and, and so many different obstacles. And and not just the pandemic, as they mentioned with their situation with Puerto Rico. Um, I think it's a testament to their, you know, their commitment though to telling the story that and, and doing the best job they could with it. Uh, that you know, the it's evident in the show that they really delivered something special despite all of these challenges. And you know, speaking of those action sequence, uh, I loved that. Like some of those, they had those wingsuit flyers. They were filming them for reference, but then they actually used some of those actual shots. Um, and put them into the series, I thought was really, really great. Um, so that was a cool little note. Also, um, one last thing I want to focus on before we move on to Marvel and well, uh, celebrating movie theaters um, or the movies, uh, I want to talk about costume design just a little bit because Michael Crow, the costume designer, was uh, present in this uh, Marvel Studios Assembled episode. And he talked about the similarities in the cap costumes between Steve Rogers and John Walker. But then I really love when he talked about, of course, Sam's Captain America costume, talking about how it's a much brighter costume, which I think is pretty evident. And then also how it has a lot more white in it. And I think the part that I found the most interesting, though, was the neck sock, because we mentioned this during the finale. I was surprised that this was part of it. It's part of the comic book costume, but I thought it was going to be if there was one thing in the Sam Wilson Captain America comic book costume that I thought wouldn't make it into the live action adaptation, it would have been the neck sock. And I mentioned during the spoiler review, like I feel like it it does bunch up a little bit in some spots, but not nearly as much as it did in real life as they uh, do a great job of illustrating like the way that thing just kind of folds up anytime Anthony Mackie would turn his head or you know, his neck or anything like it was just in almost any pose, like it was just mm -hmm. kind of bunching up and, and bowing out a little bit. And it created VFX shots all over the place to just get rid of that. What's funny, though, is that feels like the kind of thing that they used to get rid of practically, meaning if the costume does that, change the costume or get rid of that mm -hmm. piece of the costume and retailer it so it doesn't do that. But now the VFX have progressed so much that they can just smooth it out digitally and, and not have to worry about it or give Sam goggles all the time uh, digitally because they were empty, you know, as you see over and over again, whether Sam was in his Falcon costume or his Captain America costume. So it's interesting to see the way they have solutions for these things digitally to allow. Um, I mean, it makes me more hopeful that you'll see even more comic book accurate. Not that I've been dissatisfied by the costumes of the MCU. I think they've been awesome, but mm -hmm. that there is a digital solution now for some of the physical impracticalities of, of certain elements of certain costumes. So I, I did think that was interesting, although it does make me wonder, like long term, are they going to stick with this costume as is? Because costumes tend to evolve over time in the MCU. So yep. I, I think we'll see Sam's costume adjust a little bit maybe the neck sock will eventually go away i i don't know because uh, i i just can't imagine them wanting to have like almost every shot of anthony mackie in that costume have to be a vfx shot um i don't know if they'll stick with that long term or not but i'm glad they did for the purpose of this show because it looked like a million bucks and and i loved it 
Yeah, the costume was was really cool. Kind of them talking about that, and they talked about how they would really wanted to make more white in his suit, and and I was like, mission accomplished. It's very white, uh, and I did like the fact that they enhanced just like the other costumes, like the Spider Man, the Black Panther costume. They all digitally enhanced them later on in in, in post, and I think that to me is totally cool. It, it worked. Um, like you, Sean. I think they're they're gonna tweak that costume. It's gonna be modified a little bit. And and to be honest, I don't blame them. And 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 again, I think they'll get it just like with Captain America, like to get it really screen accurate. The, the, again, the 2012 Avengers costume, which I love, my favorite is still my favorite Cap costume because it is the most comic book accurate, like a literal adaptation from the you know page to screen. You know, I kind of feel they're going to take that and go, okay, this didn't, you know, this is a little bit too jarring in places. Let's adjust a few things. And I think that once they'll just take one more crack at it, and then I think they'll, it'll be amazing. And it only looks great now. Don't get me wrong. I think it looks great now. So I just think it might need a little bit of tweaks. I think maybe mute the white a little bit. Um, No, don't touch that. I don't, I just, it's a little, it's just too, like, it's too jarring on the eyes a little bit. But again, at the same time, I still liked it a lot and it got used to it. So maybe yeah, I, just I don't want him to change more. it significantly because I already pre-ordered the hot toys. So I just, you know, I, I'm that, that, it that does thing, look good. Yeah. Like it looks awesome. And so I don't really want it tweaked very much if they need to adjust something on the neck. Okay. Um, but maybe now they don't care. They're like, Hey, we, you know, we have a digital solution for it. We're just going to do that. And, and who cares? It's not that expensive, but yeah. the costume looks great. And I'm glad that, you know, and they really showed it, you know, they show the comic book costume and you see, um, you know, you, you get a chance to see like, this is how accurate they were to the original comic book version of that suit. And it just looked, uh, great. And it was a great way to end the series with Sam Wilson as Captain America in this terrific costume. And overall, I really enjoyed the special. I thought it was the right mix of going into the thematic elements, going into the character development, and then just the practical, the practical things of how they, made the show and and i just i i really loved it this was a really good special uh that i enjoyed watching and i've seen it a couple times so like i i just i really enjoy going in depth and there's all kinds of things that i would still love to see as more behind the scenes um content for marvel studios on disney plus there's never really going to be a point where i'll feel like i could get enough of it um but what they've given us so far with wandavision and then also with this one with the falcon winter soldier it's been really, really great. I didn't actually expect when I said, no, let's talk about all of this in one episode that we would get this much out of Marvel Studios assembled for the Falcon no and the Winter Soldier. But uh, to keep with the promise, we are going to talk about Marvel yes. Studios celebrates the movies. The video that they released uh, earlier this week or perhaps last week by the time you are listening to this podcast. So it starts off with an Infinity Saga recap narrated, of course, by... Stan Lee, uh, you know, playing audio of him saying, you know, being with people, the most it's the most incredible. He loves being with people. It's the most incredible thing in the world. Uh, Stan saying we're all part of one big family and we get a cut of an opening night reaction, although opening night was actually April 25th, 2019. 26 was the Friday, but it opened on Thursday night. Uh, But opening night reaction for Avengers Endgame. Uh, Everybody reacting, of course, to. Uh, on your left and Avengers Assemble. And we all remember what those nights were like watching Avengers Endgame in a packed theater. And it was emotional watching that. I mean, yeah. 
not just the end game part though. I mean, the whole recap of the Infinity Saga and and how much I mean, not even getting into the previews of what's coming up, but just the recap of that journey of the Infinity Saga and the Marvel Cinematic Universe and, you know, just going back to all the memories that we had and and if you're a newer listener, you can go back to episode 55 and start our Road to Infinity War series where we shared a lot of our memories of our journeys to a lot of those films and it's something i mean i'll just i'll never forget any of those experiences but yeah then avengers endgame uh the most unique joyful and just emotionally fulfilling theatrical experience that i have ever had and and maybe will ever have although i don't want to i don't want to count out marvel studios at this point maybe they'll be able to top it but uh they don't need to um you know that was an experience that i know so many of us will never ever forget and it was just I mean, it was the height of movie going for me. I mean, at least up until this point, we'll see what happens in the future. But um, I loved that experience. And yeah, it was emotional going back and, and looking through that. And it always is when we get these look backs in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, because this is a tremendous source of joy. Like this is my number one dopamine fix in my life is watching these movies or now series as well. And uh, just enjoying them as a fan, talking about them. And it is all about that sense of community. And we're all part of one big family, as we've said on this show. Like, I don't I don't care when you got here. Don't care when you arrived at the party. Just glad we're all here now and we're having fun with this and, and just getting as much joy out of it, getting as much joy out of it as we possibly can, because these stories are special. I mean, I think they're emotional. I think they're meaningful. And they're just a whole lot of fun and, and wildly entertaining. And and so that's what it is. And and part of what makes it so great is that community. I mean, that's it's the one thing that we have, you know, certainly in a theater. I mean, there's nothing like a Marvel opening night, not just for Avengers Endgame, but other Marvel movies as well. Like just being there with a crowd that's so excited to watch the story that's about to unfold and just everybody as it's unfolding, just sharing in all the emotional turns of these stories. It is, uh, it's as good as it gets uh, in the movies for me is, is going to the theater to watch a Marvel movie. But then even when we don't get to go to a theater, you know, when we are watching on Disney Plus for these series to be able to find community here on the podcast, talking to Paul, but then also talking with all of you who are listening, even though I don't get to hear your responses, I can imagine what they would be. And most of them are positive. So like there's that. And then obviously on social media, through our discord with the Patreon community that we have, um, that's what really elevates it is the fact that we get to share in all of this joy and, and expand on each other's ideas of, of why we think this stuff is so great. Um, and so all of those thoughts uh, and, you know, and emotions were were flowing through me as I was watching that video before we got e- even into the phase four thing, which is why, I mean, the only thing I could tweet out when they, when I saw that video was I love the MCU so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I it was weird because at first, Sean, the way you posted the video, I thought you had edited something together. I'm like, what is this? Oh, I and couldn't like, do that. Well, right. right. But it, the way you said I love the MCU in the video, it just didn't look like it was like a. A, a link it was weird i was like what is this what do you post I went oh oh okay so um anyway uh as i was watching it yeah it definitely brings up all these great emotions of watching this these films that you know as a kid i never thought i'd get 
I never thought I would get these movies or these characters that I, you know, even though Spider-Man, Spider-Man and the X-Men were what I grew up on as far as my, my focus, I still bought all those other comic books too. And it would dabble in, in the Avengers and Iron Man and Captain America and, you know, and Hulk and Daredevil and, and all that stuff. So seeing like all these, these characters, I never thought I'd ever see on a live action screen all like kind of all relive that those emotions in a, in a short amount of time was really nuts. And getting to that part where, you know, the theater reacts to Avengers assemble. I mean, it's, it's crazy. Cause it, oh, it just kind of dawned on me for a second there too, Sean, that, that a good portion of those people, they, they don't know that they're, that he's what that means. Like they just know it's Avengers assemble, right? Yeah. Like, or, or they don't even know that that's a thing. Like, they just see like the way, but the way they presented it is so, you know, thematic, you know, so dramatic and so awesome and such a, you know, a, uh, such, a such a great way that people all lose their minds for it. But as you know, but the, about half the audience who knows it's like, he's finally going to say it. So it's like all, it's just crazy to kind of consider that for a minute. It's like, man, that's a little nuts. Um, that was, that definitely got me goosebumps and emotional. Like I got full on goosebumps and like got emotional yeah. watching that. It's like, dang. Cause I, every time I see that part, I always feel the same. I get really emotional because it, because it, it's the most earned, uh, th- you know, thing of all time in yeah. my opinion. It, it's, it is. It's crazy. It's again, people, you gotta realize I thought we were going to get it in Avengers. And I never, I thought it was so weird and they tease it in all age of Ultron. And yeah. then I just kind of forgot about it. Like, okay, whatever. It's never going to be, yeah. it's too cheesy to say. I get it. And then and Chris I, Evans intentionally never said the word assemble. So they couldn't have it on camera and couldn't use it in age of Ultron. So like they yeah. couldn't change their mind uh, yeah. and decide to use it. And so because of that, you know, I mean, they were already not going to use it, but then he made sure to keep them honest, <laughs> to not let temptation uh, interfere. Mm-hmm. And yeah, by the time he says it, it's amazing. And just, you know, the pacing of that whole thing uh, from Cap getting the hammer. And then when you get to the portal sequence with on your left and just, I mean, I'll never forget the pacing of those cheers, right? Like Sam comes through mm-hmm. cheer and then three silhouettes come walking out of Wakanda T'Challa, Okoye and Shuri cheers. And then the guardians uh, but you see like the first group of guardians and you see star Lord and then, you know, big cheer and then Peter Parker swings in bigger, even bigger cheer. And it's just building and building and building and all the way to, and of course everybody knows the score, the Alan Silvestri score, just so amazing. Um, building and building all the way to Avengers assemble. And then of course, to me still underrated moment, the Thor battle cry immediately after Avengers assemble is also a huge part of what sells it for me. Um, because it's basically Thor letting out the screen that the entire audience is letting out. Uh, just so, so good. And, um, but it's, I mean, as extraordinary as that sequence is, you know, it's it's not just that part, you know, in the video. It's it's the entire journey that got us there. So like when you say it's the, the most earned moment, yeah, it's earned not just in the way they illustrate in that moment or even that movie, but the entire journey we took uh, to get there and the audience and, and everybody was in it, whether you were in it from the start of that journey with Iron Man or you joined up during uh, Guardians of the Galaxy or Black Panther or Infinity War or hell, Avengers Endgame and the journey you just went on through the MCU in that film. And then maybe you went back and watched the rest of it 
whenever you got there, I mean, I, I think that moment, uh, I'm sure that moment moved you. Yeah, no, it, everything was, it was great seeing that. And it was, you know, cause I didn't really know what it was when I first started watching. And so as, as it goes on, it definitely, it was like, okay, this is perfect. So yeah, I, it was a great recap, but I, I was very curious going into it. Like what exactly is, is this? Like what is, what is yeah. exactly is this, you know, giving me? Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's, uh, you know, it was a great way of kind of, as I said, you know, they titled the video Marvel studios celebrates the movies and, and obviously look, the timing of this, we get it right. Theaters are opening back up and a lot of places are opening back up as more and more people get vaccinated. And we know that we are just a couple of months away from a Marvel movie being in theaters again for the first time since July of 2019. We'll have a Marvel Studios movie in theaters with Black Widow. It's also going to be at home with Disney Plus and Premiere Access uh, on July 9th. So we're already aware of that. But uh, yeah, like it's you know, we're going to go back. A lot of us are getting ready to go back to the theater to watch the Marvel Cinematic Universe again, as much as we're enjoying it on Disney Plus. And so that's where it's this big advertisement of as we're getting ready to go back to the movies, Marvel is here for you and, and getting to get the that one big family get back together and have a big family reunion every few months watching these films, uh, starting with Black Widow. And of course, it's great to see. I mean, I'm super excited about Black Widow. In this video, I mean, it's mostly footage we've seen, but I'm still hyped. Uh, and then we got uh, footage from Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings, mostly trailer footage. I think one or two new shots in there. Uh, Blackwood, of course, on July 9th, Shang-Chi on September 3rd. Very excited about that movie, especially after the trailer that we got uh, a couple weeks ago. And then we got the first ever footage, besides those who got to see some footage at Comic-Con Experience in Brazil, I think way back in December of 2019, the first footage of Eternals. And if you are not familiar with the work of director Chloe Zhao, you might start becoming familiar with that because she just won an Oscar for Best Director in her movie, her latest movie, won Best Picture, Nomadland, which is on Hulu in the US. And I think it's on Disney Plus Star internationally. Um, if it's not there yet, it will be soon. So you can check out that movie and you should. It's a great film. So is The Writer, another movie that she made. In fact, the very first shot that we got of Salma Hayek had me thinking, like, this could have been right out of The Writer. Um, just looked, it's what you expect from a Chloe Zhao movie. You just expect a lot of just using natural light, just capturing everything in camera, and it looks absolutely beautiful. And then the shots that we get, I mean, Angelina Jolie as Thena, uh, we see Lauren Ridloff's Makari zooming in to one shot. Kingo, played by Kumail Nanjiani. Uh, Gemma Chan's Circe, who gets a great line, like, we're the ones who changed everything, which certainly adds to that feeling of the weight of the Eternals. I mean, you're talking about something that goes into the history of creation and mankind and, and everything, and, and, of course, aliens and celestials being a part of that. And it certainly has the ability to completely redefine the MCU and, and what it is and could have really far reaching impacts. But most importantly, though, is that movie Eternals. And it's not a lot of footage, but what we see, it looks really good to me. I mean, it looks gorgeous as far as the cinematography and it's uh, I wouldn't expect anything less from a Chloe Zhao movie. And I'm very excited that it looks like a Chloe Zhao movie. Uh, so I was really digging this tiny little bit of Eternals footage that we got. 
Yeah, this was a, a nice little surprise to kind of see a little bit of what the Eternals is kind of going to give us. And it was interesting, just a little bit. Um, kind of confirmed a few things, but we kind of suspected that they've kind of been here, kind of in their human form, just kind of chilling out, doing their thing. As we see Salma Hayek, you know, gardening, you know, and uh, everything, and just kind of them kind of all in normal clothes at this point. And it definitely feels like that's what we're going to get. And uh, But the shot, to me, the, the real money shot was the Angel, Angelina Jolie's shot where, with her sword mm-hmm. as Athena. That was pretty cool. And that that to me kind of clicked in my head of like, okay, visually this is very interesting looking already. And again, those costumes we saw the, you know, the concept art or whatever, never going to do it justice. We got to see these things move in action. That's how, that's how I judge any kind of, even like move action in, in comic books, like seeing it in, in different panels, like Spider-Man just came with a new costume and I got to see it move a little bit in the, in, in, in different panels. And it was nice to see it. And it definitely gives a different outlook of the, of the costume itself. And, actually think it's not terrible um and but with this movies is it's even more crucial you got to see it move you got to see it and how it flows and and how it actor kind of you know pre- presents it and so uh just seeing it a little bit that little shot with her in the sword was like okay like i before i was not excited about the eternals like at all and seeing a, that little snippet was like okay you you kind of you you're there's something aesthetically interesting here i'm 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 very intrigued so I'm uh I'm I'm in I'm in I've always been in but I'm I'm more in now they've they've, they've piqued my interest if yeah. you will yeah I mean I I've been in since the jump only because I like the idea of Marvel making a movie that wasn't as well defined of a concept as you know of course Jack Kirby created the Eternals and it's mm-hmm. I mean those stories we talked about them. I mean we read the comics about them from on the Marvel Unlimited book club we discussed them yes. and there were a lot of great ideas that hadn't fully come together and been developed because it just wasn't around long enough for that to happen and ever since Jack Kirby's uh initial run uh that never really seemed to be completed and they've just been popping up here and there in Marvel comics and it had a story here a story there but haven't had the time to develop in the way that a lot of other characters have been who've been showcased in the MCU. So there's a lot of an oppor- there's a huge opportunity with Eternals for Marvel and, and the, Chloe Zhao as the director here to really kind of fill in the blanks and and uh, you know paint their own kind of picture with it. And that's the part that I think is so exciting to me. And and I've said before, Chloe Zhao, I think best director hire for Marvel Studios since Ryan Coogler and. I mean, may prove to be their best director hire ever. I mean, I, of course, I don't want to hype it up too much and, and set anything up for a letdown, but she's an extraordinary mm-hmm. filmmaker. So regardless of what happens with Eternals, her body of work already, you know, is, is a testament to just what a brilliant storyteller she is. And so to have her in the Marvel Cinematic Universe with this specific movie and really being able to bring her style to it, which I, I think... The whole idea of Marvel kind of impeding on directors being able to bring their own style to movies, I think, has always been overblown. But I think this is maybe the biggest and most significant argument yet. Uh, you know, counterpoint to that is what we're seeing them, what I'm seeing in these initial shots of Eternals that looks completely like a Chloe Zhao movie. And like she was able to do exactly what she wanted to do to tell the story in the way that uh, matched what her vision was for these characters. And it just, it looks very, very different. It looks, uh, it looks very interesting. 
And I think, and there's been some early buzz that she nailed it with Eternals. I mean, we'll see uh, when we finally get a chance to watch the movie for ourselves. But I was excited to finally see some footage from this film. And now I just can't wait for a teaser trailer fully dedicated to Eternals. But these initial shots were very, very promising. And then uh, the video turned to title cards with Marvel saying, what the future brings will be worth the wait. Spider-Man No Way Home, December 17th, 2021. Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, March 25th, 2022. Thor Love and Thunder, May 6th of 2022. All of that was old information. Black Panther 2 arriving on July 8th, 2022. That wasn't news. What was news is that we're not calling it Black Panther 2 anymore. It now has an official title that's been shared with us, Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I can't think of a better title, just knowing what the real-world circumstances are around this movie with the tragic loss of Chadwick Boseman last year and Marvel not recasting that role certainly points to the idea that T'Challa is not going to be around in the MCU, that I I think the real-life passing of Chadwick Boseman will uh, manifest itself as, you know, the, the fictional passing of T'Challa in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and the people of Wakanda carrying on without him and that whole idea of Wakanda forever, which, um, you know, is certainly something, you know, the spirit of that has certainly remained strong over the past few years since Black Panther hit theaters, but certainly it carries a new meaning now, which, I mean, we would gladly trade in order to still have Chadwick Boseman with us, but that's not the option. So knowing that these are the, the real life circumstances in this story, you know, carrying on while also paying tribute to the guy who made this franchise what it was, um, or, or certainly one of those who was at the center of making this, that that film, what it was and, and the character and mythology of black Panther, what it was cinematically, um, I, I love that title for this film, and I, and I can't wait to see what the story is. Yeah, that was a... It, it felt very appropriate, that title, and what it means and, and what it could mean. So I'm... You know, is this going to be the first film that goes from a Black Panther film to a Wakanda, you know, more of a Wakanda focus like that we're gonna, they're going to do for the Disney Plus? I, I don't know. It's it's interesting. It's a very It's a very appropriate title, like you said, Sean, and it's... I don't know where to go from there as far as speculation. We'll get more as we get more information. Um, I can't wait, but like this alone, it just feels more of like an appropriate kind of in, in, in the, in the, in light of the, uh, of the the recent passing, um, uh, of Chadwick Boseman, unfortunately, uh, this might be more of like a, a way of kind of like just kind of bringing that real world aspect into the story and uh, what that could mean for the characters and and the, the supporting characters in that the previous films and what they could be doing in the future film as well. So very, very interesting indeed. Yeah, I, I think it's I can't think of a better title choice for this movie, and that's without even knowing the story. But I, I think, yeah. I don't know if the title of this, and I would suspect that maybe it wasn't always Wakanda Forever, but obviously, you know, what happened with Chadwick uh, having passed last year, I mean, obviously changed the story. So the the title would obviously be a a representation of that. But it already feels like a just this title all by itself already feels like the type of tribute to Chadwick Boseman that this movie should be, while also, of course, telling its own story and, and you know create and carrying that legacy forward uh in a way where other characters uh, will continue to shine and so i i love that title 
the next title change that we got, we knew we were getting Captain Marvel 2 on November 11th of 2022. Well, it turns out it's not Captain Marvel 2 anymore. It's the Marvels. And that represents things we already kind of know about this movie, which is being directed by Nia DaCosta. That's another directing choice that I'm very, very excited about. But when we have Brie Larson, of course, returning as Carol Danvers, a.k.a. Captain Marvel, we know we're going to have Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan, who will debut in her Disney Plus series later this year, but she is going to be in this uh, in this film. And then you have Monica Rambeau, who has had a lot of superhero identities in the comic books. We've leaned toward Photon in the MCU because that was one of her uh, that was one of her superhero identities in the comic books, and it was also her mom's call sign, Maria Rambo. Her call sign was Photon in the MCU, so it just seemed like Monica. Now that she got her superpowers in WandaVision, would start going by Photon. This title actually has me wondering about that because we're saying the Marvels, and I don't think the Marvels is just a reference to Carol and uh, to Carol Danvers and Kamala Khan. It might also be a reference to Monica Rambo, and so it has me wondering: is Kamal is not Kamala Khan, who'd be Miss Marvel, but is Monica Rambo gonna also be Captain Marvel in the comics? Is she gonna have some? Is she gonna have Marvel? In her name somewhere, I'm not really sure, but I like this title change because I like that it's called the Marvels instead of Captain Marvel 2, regardless of what it means, you know, for whatever superhero identity Monica Rambo is going to go by. I think just giving the title, giving it the title of the Marvels implies equal weight to all three mm. of these characters, as opposed to it's Captain Marvel 2 featuring Monica Rambo and Kamala Khan. This feels like it's all three of these characters. Uh, getting equal weight in this story, and that's very exciting. That was a giant surprise for me. I, not obviously that those characters were going to show up in the movie, because that they've already kind of talked about that, but the fact that they are like, it's going to be essentially a team. Mm-hmm. And that was really fascinating to me, because there were, for a long time, Sean, there were rumors of an A-Force film being made. Not and even rumors. It was Tessa Thompson telling the sure, story yeah. at the Thor Ragnarok press junket. Um, happy I was there for that. They She told the story of how it was her and a number of actresses uh, from the MCU who approached Kevin Feige and said, hey, what about an all-female team-up movie? And, you know, and of course, Kevin Feige liked the idea, but it never really... It never really turned into anything real as far as a specific project that was being developed. When we saw the A4 shot in Endgame, like, yeah, we had Gamora and we had a, a lot in Okoye and, and Scarlet Witch. We had a lot of these characters teaming up for and, of course, Captain Marvel. So we got that moment in Avengers Endgame that felt like a promise of something in the future. But there really hasn't been any indication specifically about what that was going to be in the MCU. And I don't even know that this is that. Uh, with the Marvels, but it could be. I mean, I I don't even know. We we know that Carol, Monica, and Kamala are in this movie, but maybe they're not the only ones. Who knows? With a name like the Marvels, it's very... For someone like me, I I immediately knew because of, you know, Monica Rambeau and, uh, you know, obviously Miss Marvel and that connection. There's there's an immediate like, okay, we already knew they're in the, be in the movie, but now it seems like more of a team idea. And I know they've talked about an, an all female team kind of on the screen. I, I don't know if I necessarily think that you're, I don't think you're wrong either, Sean, that this problem this you can't really tell if this is it or not, but I'm kind of 
been thinking about it lately, and I'm thinking this could be it. The the Marvel comic books just put out a comic book that's not related to anything of this, but it's called The Marvels. Um, and I just thought it was very curious that with that announcement, I wonder if they're trying to get that just that name in general kind of out there and get people kind of used to it. And because I've, I've, I for one never was a fan of the name A Force. I think it's one of the worst superhero team names of all time, <laughs> to be quite honest. I think Strike Force is even better than that. I thought that was pretty bad. Um, but whatever. I actually really like the name The Marvels. And it, it felt very appropriate for what they're doing with these three characters. But if this is a prelude to maybe what could be a, an offshoot of the Avengers, but it's like almost like their own kind of thing. That'd be interesting. And I, I, but even if it's just the three of them, I, I love this idea that they're not just, it's not just going to be a Captain Marvel film. Like, no, 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 we've got, we've got other things to like market to these fans out there. And I think Captain Marvel being the head, you know, obviously of this, cause she's her movie made a billion dollars or whatever. Um, I mean, it's a big deal. I do find it curious that they don't even put her, her name in there, but at the same time, I don't know if you need it because you've got her, she's be all over the movie and you're going to have other great characters and it's, it's going to be a very interesting, uh, what they're going to do and what the movie could be about. And, uh, I don't know. It's kind of crazy. I wouldn't, I'll just say this. I won't be shocked if other people are in there besides those three, like other, I mean, meaning like it could be an actual team potentially an all female team. I, I would not be shocked. It could be. I mean, I would certainly be rooting for someone like Valkyrie to show up. Exactly. If, if this is going to get bigger than Carol, Monica, and Kamala, I would love for Valkyrie to be part of it because, hey, Tessa Thompson was one of the people who was really pushing for that idea and really got it out into people talking about it in a more mainstream sense by telling the story during the Thor Ragnarok press conference. And the logo, I think, is... Uh, although the logo seems to represent the three specific characters. I yeah. mean, the font is mostly Captain Marvel, but then the S from Marvel's is uh, from Miss Marvel. And then you have that Monica's little symbol over the A in Marvel's, um, which doesn't quite look like, I'm trying to I'm trying to identify which symbol that is from a superhero identity of Monica. It looks sort of like her Captain Marvel symbol, but not quite. I mean, so it looks like it's maybe something that's been uh, adapted a, a little bit. Um, doesn't quite look like her photon symbol either. But anyway, I'm, I'm sure that's representing Monica. And um, I'm very excited about this because, as I said, I, I love the idea of giving equal weight. And, and I also like the idea, though, like, I don't need this to be a huge team up with like, sure, you know, six or seven characters or something like that. Like, I don't need it to be that. If it is, great. But one of the other things that worked really well for the MCU that I think kind of started a little bit with Captain America, the Winter Soldier was the mini team up. And, you know, Captain America, the Winter Soldier, it's Captain America, it's Sam, it's Black Widow or Captain America, Falcon and Black Widow. So I like the idea of this, like the mini team up of three heroes, except now when it is that mini team up, still call it a team up. And, you know, it's like instead of calling Captain America the Winter Soldier, like now that one still should have been titled Captain America because it's still mostly Cap's story. And then you have Sam and Natasha playing their supporting roles. But if you are going to tell a story where Monica and Kamala are being given the same weight within the story and the same level of attention as Carol, 
then give it a shared title. If it, if it really truly is a shared story uh, amongst these three and, and somewhat even, not that you have to put a stopwatch on screen time, but a somewhat evenly shared uh, story and, and emphasis for all of them within that story, then yeah, let's go ahead and let's give it a team name, even if it's a mini team name. Uh, I'm all for that. And I think that's really cool. And so when when I saw that title card flash, I was like, okay, that's, I mean, it was, it was hard to go right from Black Panther Wakanda forever. Like it took time for all this to settle in of uh, how beautiful that title is, uh, you know, and the meaning behind Black Panther Wakanda forever. And then just the excitement of the Marvels. Um, but that wasn't the only new information. So we got release dates for projects that we already knew existed. Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is going to be out February 17th, 2023. And then Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 will be out May 5th of 2023. They also flashed that Fantastic Four logo again, but uh, they did not attach a release date to that film. Marvel does have three previously announced release dates that were not filled in this video. They still have a release date on October 7th, 2022. I don't think they're going to use it because that's when Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse 2 comes out. They're not putting an MCU movie out against a Spider-Verse yeah. sequel. That's not happening. So I don't know what they'll do with that spot. They may just abandon it entirely or maybe whatever movie that's supposed to be will move to a different date. So that date, I, I don't really know. That one's pretty flimsy to me, but... They have other dates, uh, July 28th of 2023 and November 3rd of 2023. I mean, if they can get it together fast enough, July 28th for a Fantastic Four movie sounds great to me, um, but so does November 3rd. I just like July 28th because it's sooner. Uh, but yeah. uh, I, I was the only thing that I kind of was a little in about is I was like, where's Blade in all of this? But mm. you know, there, were, there was another report, uh, not specifically about Blade in the trades earlier in the week that kind of mentioned that, you know, with Blade, they're just taking their time with it. So it's not something, you know, they don't have a date they're ready to announce yet, but it's still happening. Although I started being a little suspicious, not that it would go away, but I'm like, what if they turn it into a Disney Plus series, which I think they could, by the way, with Blade, um, you know, as opposed to a movie, but I'm fine with either one. I still just, ever since that announcement of Mahershala Ali as Blade, like I want to see that come to fruition in the mm. MCU. And I still think that it's going to. So I'll, I'll focus instead on what was announced. So, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. I mean, the release dates don't really matter to me or Marvel anymore because they're making money all over the place no matter what movie they release in what month. So it's just nice to have uh, these dates of when we can expect to see these projects. Um, I, I think Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania with Kang the Conqueror being in this movie and the title just implies it being completely weird and off the wall and crazy and big. Uh, in a way that maybe Ant-Man stories uh, have not been uh, quite as big in the past, no pun intended. Um, I like, I, I'm still very excited about that project. And then Guardians 3, I mean, certainly we all know the history, well, not maybe all of us, but a lot of us know the history of this one. Obviously, this one is coming out a lot later than we expected because of the whole situation with James Gunn, who was fired and then brought back. Um, of course, brought back after he'd already signed on for another project with the Suicide Squad that'll be out later this year. And he's currently making the Peacemaker HBO Max series, you know, spinning out of his Suicide Squad movie. But later this year, James Gunn and company will return to start shooting Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And they will be filming the holiday special while they're making Volume 3. So that's actually going to be out in the holiday season of 2022. 
several months before Guardians 3 hits. And James Gunn continues to say that this is what he sees as kind of the end of the Guardian story that he started with the very first film, which we will have seen. It'll be almost nine years old by the time Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 comes out uh, on May 5th of 2023. But, um, you know, May, even though, as I said before, release dates don't really matter anymore with the MCU, the first weekend in May has always been kind of a, a special one. I mean, that Iron Man was May 2nd of 2008. And even before the MCU with Spider-Man movies, the very first one in May of 2002, First weekend in May has been uh, a pretty big one and one of the flagship release dates, the flagship release date if there is one for the MCU, except for moving up a week into the last weekend of April for Infinity War and Endgame. So, uh, and Vol Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 was a May release in 2017. So uh, sending the Guardians off with that big May uh, weekend, I, I think is really great. Uh, but really, it's just going to be more about the story. And I can I can wait to see Volume Three, not because of any lack of anticipation for it. I have loved both Guardians movies, and I'm looking forward to what James Gunn does in what should be the conclusion to his Guardians trilogy. But just looking at how many things we have between now and then, it's just nonstop MCU joy. Um, so when Marvel says the future, uh, what the future brings will be worth the wait. I have no doubt. Yeah, this was a. Uh, you know, volume three is going to be very interesting. I, I'm very, I can't wait for Suicide Squad, um, to be honest. And uh, I'm, I'm curious if, if James Gunn can kind of, for me, I'm not a huge, the biggest fan of volume two. And I'm curious what volume three will bring. So, yeah, I, that, and also the fact that it's been delayed or just, you know, it's going to be a while before we see it. It's just, it's going to be interesting. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where he goes with it. As am I. And I kind of like, though, that it's, in some ways, it works out that we've waited so long for it because I, I think what the Guardians need for like a conclusion is a little bit of the passage of time, you know. And I, and I think right. us getting an opportunity to maybe miss them a little bit because we did have a lot of Guardians. I mean, we saw them in 2014 and then again in 2017, but then we saw them three years in a row, you know, 2017, 18, and 19 with Volume Two, Infinity War, and then Endgame. So. Uh, the idea of, you know, letting absence uh, make the heart grow fonder a little bit before we see the Guardians. I mean, they will appear uh, in, I'm sure, in Thor Love and Thunder based on the social media of various Guardians cast members who are sharing their trips to Sydney, Australia during production of Thor Love and Thunder. And we so we expect an appearance there because, of course, that's who Thor was with when we last saw him in Endgame. But I don't think they'll have too much screen time in that film. So mostly it's going to be saved for volume three. And I just can't wait to see how James Gunn wraps up his story. Not that that's the end for every Guardians character, but the end of the story he's been telling uh, in the first two volumes. And it's going to be so it's going to be so great to see it in May of 2023. But as I said, so much between now and then. And, you know, when Marvel says it's going to be worth the wait, that's an acknowledgement of just how long the wait has been. I mean, it will have been a year since we had an opportunity to see them, or two years rather, since we've seen a Marvel movie in theaters by the time we get to uh, Black Widow. But once we get to Black Widow, things are going to be moving fast. I mean, just think about that. July of this year, Black Widow. September, Shang-Chi. In November, Eternals. And then, and then uh, in December, Spider-Man. March, Doctor Strange. May, Thor. July, Black Panther. November, the Marvels, and then February 2023, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, May of 2020, 2023, Guardians of the Galaxy, Volume 3. Oh, and while all that's happening, 
several Disney Plus series. So more MCU than we know what to do with. And yet we will find a way to consume it all and discuss it all on this podcast. But that's it for this week's discussion. So stay tuned for those of you who subscribe to our Patreon. Our Patreon credit scene will feature our reaction to Loki making Wednesdays the new Fridays. Uh, we will discuss that over at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. That's S-E-A-N-G-E-R-B-E-R. Or just hit the link in our show notes. And speaking of our Patreon, have some folks to thank this week. Thank you so much to Harrison A., Stephen R., Brian L., Alden B., Sarah, Logan, and then Elizabeth and Devin P. They are some of the latest patrons who have ex- who have access to some of those exclusive podcasts, as well as our exclusive Discord community, which you can find for- more information on at patreon.com slash Sean Gerber. And then make sure you're following us in those places you can. We are at MCU Fan Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Paul, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Herman22 with two N's, a.k.a. P-Thug. Also, please follow, uh, or I should say, should, should, eh, should say, subscribe and to like all my videos on YouTube for the comic binge because you love me and you want to help me out and get into that sweet, sweet, sweet YouTube algorithm. And uh, yeah, follow me on there and uh, I hope to see you on there at some point. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Sean Gerber. So for Paul, I'm Sean. Thanks for listening to the MCU Fan Show. We'll see you next time.